Good afternoon. Thanks for the invitation. It is a joy and pleasure uh, to be here at New Covenant Baptist Church. I bring greetings from Greenbelt Baptist Church. Uh, And though we are a county away, we are one in spirit. Uh, It's good to uh, be with you all. We've been praying for you, and uh, we continue to pray for you. Your church name spills forth from our lips often. And, uh, and I got questions even before I left from Greenbelt uh, earlier this afternoon. What's, what's the vibe like at New Covenant Baptist? Tell us, tell us who we're praying for. And uh, praise God, I get to go back and say, it's not weird, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 this morning, verses 1 through 15, and, and really this is an extended rumination on who and what God is. Classic passage, uh, picked because you all are going through the I am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and uh, this is the springboard out of which those I am sayings find their genesis. So Exodus chapter 3, I'll read verses 1 through 15, and then we'll ask for God's blessing. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is God's holy and living and active word. Let's ask his blessing upon its reading and the preaching of it. Father, we thank you. Again, we thank you for this time, and we ask, Father, as weak people, we are in need of your nourishing grace. And so by your Spirit, we pray that you would take your word and apply it to our lives even now. It is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce into the depths of our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that even now, convicting us of sin, bringing us into humility, And therein, Lord, we also ask that you build us up in faith so that we might exalt the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. There is a lot in a name, isn't there? Uh, A name is usually given to describe a person. If you have children, you know the havoc of for months, it seems, going over different names to give to your children because you know what name you give them they're going to inevitably end up like that. It never happens, but you like to wish it does. Adam was given the task of naming the animals. Indeed, as head of the household, he named his wife Eve as mother of the living. What name you give describes, especially within the biblical literature, describes the character. Here, we see God giving a name, but he's naming himself. No one gives him his name. Here is a name revealed from the person of God, a name to which Moses, when he comes across God, is even afraid to look at God. Humbled, shoes off his feet, standing in the holy ground of the presence of God, and therein comes this transcendent, incomprehensible name who God is and what God is are not just two sides of the same coin, but irrevocably linked. The being and the whatness of God is described for us here in this fantastic scene where he tells us who he is by his name. We as Christians looking back as we do on the cross and having the blessing of the New Testament, we have revealed to us the full name of God. Yes, He is, I am who I am, but He is also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name that is commissioned to us to go out to the ends of the world and pronounce, we are to make disciples and baptizing them in the name singular. What is God's name? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so from our wonderful, blessed perspective, we could look back on this passage and we see here the eternal, incomprehensible nature of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit speaking to a weak and tender Moses. Who is Moses? If you're not familiar with the book of Exodus, just a quick rundown. Moses was born amazingly to Jewish parents in the midst of a time when Pharaoh wanted all the firstborn of the Jewish mothers killed. 
But the midwives said, no, not this one, and hid Moses, baby Moses, put him in a kind of ark, a a raft made out of uh, sticks and twigs and placed him on the Nile. And in God's providence, the raft and the ark takes Moses where? But into the very palace of the Pharaoh himself. (laughs) And there Pharaoh's daughter sees a baby Moses and says, I want this baby. And so he's raised under God's providence within the enemy's household, as it were. And he's raised to be uh, number two in all of the kingdom. He's an important man raised in all the best education that the world could offer at that time until Moses, out wandering, sees Pharaoh's soldiers beating his people, the fellow Israelites, the fellow Jews. Moses stands up and takes action. He kills the men who were beating the fellow Jews, and he doesn't in that moment say, all right, let's go, let's start our revolution. He says, that was not smart, and so he runs and hides, and he hides out in the wilderness. He becomes a a, a no one man out in a nowhere place, and it's almost as if the world has forgotten about him. He's kind of booed up with this guy named Jethro and he's shepherding his flock. And, and here now in Exodus 3, he's walking the sheep and he looks off in the distance and what does he see? Well, he sees a bush and the bush is on fire. Perhaps that's not in and of itself unique. In the wilderness, you'll see things on fire. Lightning will strike. But what was unique, what caught his attention a little bit more than usual, was that this bush, verse 2, was burning, yet it was not consumed. So he says, this is different. And he walks up to this burning bush that's not consumed. And as he walks to the burning bush, out of it, a voice emerges. There's a wonderful play here. Verse, it says that the angel of the Lord spoke, and then it says the Lord spoke. And so we're meant to see here something of God within the bush. And first he says, Moses, this is holy. This is sanctified, set-apart space. You are now before the creator of the heavens and the earth. At the least you could do is take off your muddy boots before you come into my house. So he does. And he reveals himself in verse 6 as the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And here he's revealing the covenantal faithfulness of who he is, that he's already spoken to people in his lineage. Perhaps you've forgotten me while your people have been enslaved in Egypt. Perhaps the confession of faith and the catechism questions of who is your God aren't being recited and practiced at home in Egypt anymore. And so let me give you a quick reminder. I am that God who called your great-great-great-grandfather Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I've not forgotten you. In fact, look what he says in verse 7. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings three verbs. I can't help but think that this is something of a polemic against the idols of Egypt. Egypt as it was, filled with the gods and idols, the god Ra, uh, the god of the Nile, 
all these different gods that they could have seen sculpted into stone and wood, and they had eyes, and they had ears, and they had mouths carved into them, but like the scarecrow, they had no brain. They could not feel. They could not think. They could not act. And perhaps most importantly, they could not save. Here's the living God who sees, he hears, and he knows. This is the God who is the living God, the one and true and only God. He is a God who is deeply involved and intimately impressed with the goings-ons of this world, and especially of his people who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a covenantally faithful God. And though he has not acted for a time, that does not mean he's fallen asleep at the wheel. Here's the living and active God who in the perfection of his wisdom says, now I'm going to act. So he calls this no one man from a nowhere place, humble, stuttering Moses. And he says, Moses, I want you to go to my people. Go to them and tell them I'm going to take them out of this Land, what Jeremiah calls the iron furnace of Egypt, an oppressive place where the people were enslaved in such hostility. And I'm going to bring them out and bring them into a broad land, uh, a Rehoboth of a land flowing with milk and honey. You can feel the fresh air in that promise. You can feel the chains lifted off. You can feel the light in Moses' face almost begin to glow with a, a foreshadow of the glory that he will have when he sees the Lord soon. But because of this, he asks a very important question in verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Makes sense. Here's a no-person man going to the man the most important man in all the world. And you want me to go tell him, hey, the people that are making Egypt thrive as a society, the backs that you're breaking in order to build your great pyramids and temples, let them go. <laughs> okay. No, who am I, Lord? This is very much like the time when Isaiah came before the presence of God in the throne room and he sees the glory of God and what does he do? He shuts up his mouth and he really realizes quickly, who am I before this God? A man of unclean lips. Moses is immediately made aware of his own insignificance. God in verse 12 says, I'll be with you. That's my promise. Don't worry about who you are. Worry about who I am and what I promise you. If you're here this morning and uh, as was prayed, you are suffering under the iron furnace chains of depression. Perhaps some kind of issue with your identity and who you belong to. Here, dear friends, is a great model. Stop navel-gazing into the depths of your own darkened heart and now turn your gaze to the God who says... I'm with you, and I'll be with you. As much as I love the Puritans, you can get lost in their kind of heart navel-gazing. The best of the Puritans said, stop looking at yourself and look to Christ. And here God does the same. 
So he says, don't worry about who you are, Moses. So Moses says, okay, what's the next logical question? Verse 13, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What should I say to them? And here we see, I think, the heart of this passage, the most glorious, transcendent, just nuclear bomb of an explosion glory in the midst of this book. God said to Moses, I am who I am. What is this name, I am? Haya asher haya. Probably from the verb that means to be, and it's playing upon the idea of being. And God is saying, I am who I am. There's lots of ink spilled on what the name means and how to rightly translate it. Some translation have here, I will be who I will be. You could play around with that even, I am who I will be. I think the ESV gets it right, I am who I am, and, and, and we're fine to stick with that. What is most striking, and I think the right tactic to take on what this name means is to understand the name out of the sign that God is revealing himself through. So throughout Scripture, God is a God who not only acts, but then describes his actions. He walks the people through the Red Sea, and then immediately through Moses describes what happened. He sends his son to die upon the cross, and then immediately through the risen uh, ministry of Christ, and then later through the apostles, describes that event. God is a God who acts and then always describes that action. And the action, the sign that we see here, the sacrament of sorts, is the bush that's burning and yet not consumed. So what do we see here about this God who is speaking to Moses and saying, my name is I am who I am, out of a bush that's burning, and then the bush is not consumed? I think we see here a couple of things. First, we see a bush that is on fire. I learned that you guys are doing a Sunday school class on biblical theology, which was rightly described as fitting the whole Bible together. Here's a fun bit of biblical theology for you. God reveals himself out of this fire. Fire is a big theme in the book of Exodus. In fact, the book of Exodus ends with God commanding the people to build a temple, and then what happens? God fills that temple with the glory of his fire. It's a consuming fire. And the reason why the tabernacle, the temple, is needed is because the people are not yet made right with God. They're holy, yes. They're sanctified. They'll be his people, but if they even touch the Ark of the Covenant, they die. What they need are mediating priests. They need the Levites to go in and one special guy one time a year to splatter the blood just so that consuming fire will not do what? Wipe out the people. There's something of a mystery here where there's this fire and the Lord is speaking and clearly it's holy ground and Moses isn't being consumed. By the end of Exodus, that consuming fire is a terrifying thing for the people of God. You don't just meander up to the glory of God and say, there's Yahweh, my homeboy. 
He's a pure God. And the worship that he requires is the worship that he requires. You can continue that biblical theology all the way to the dying of the I am who became incarnate on our behalf. And there, as he died upon the cross, the curtain that separated the holy of holies, which protected the people from the glory of God, was ripped in two. And the fire, no longer consumed, but now fell upon forgiven saints like tongues of fire upon their head, as the Holy Spirit fills every believer. What a fantastic thing that is being hinted to us here. But there's something more immediate. He speaks out of a fire that's burning a bush, and the bush isn't consumed. Now think about that. If you took high school physics, I went to PG County Public High School, so this is not my best area of expertise, but it seems to me that in order for a fire to be a fire, it needs to consume something. Once a forest fire has consumed all the wood, the fire goes out. Here is a fire burning a bush and yet not consuming the bush, which tells us it doesn't need the bush. The fire is not dependent upon the bush. And here is God saying, I am who I am. He is a God who is independent, not dependent upon anything or upon anyone to be who he is. He is. The sermon title perhaps confused you if you don't know your Latin, the Ase. God. That Latin phrase, ah, say, is describing the idea of being, where you get your being from. And to be an ah, say, being, or to be somebody who has a saity, means to be somebody that is because you are. Every other creature in all existence, whether it be a person or a chair or this church or this book, is dependent upon something else to be. A mother and a father. Wood needs soil to grow. We need air to breathe. This building needs structure and nails and people to put it together. There is nothing that exists that isn't dependent upon something else for its existence to be. If you want to get really fun with the theology here, and here you can read Thomas Aquinas, Our existence and our essence are separated. You can exist and that not be the same thing as your essence. Because there will be a time when you don't exist, you will die and go into the grave, and yet the essence of who you were was still the same. Or you can think of something that doesn't exist and yet it has an essence like a unicorn. Those don't exist, but it has a unicorn essence. Now, here's the fun thing about God. His essence and his existence are one and the same. I am who I am. I don't need you, Moses, to name me. I don't need these people to make me happy. I don't need this world to exist. I am who I am. And once we get that, that opens up for us a whole realm on the glory and grandeur of the majesty of our God. Here's an infinite God. One of my favorite questions to ask my kids at home is, where was God before he created the heavens and the earth? 
Answer, nowhere. Not to say that he didn't exist. He is the infinite, eternally existing God. But it means to say that space and time were created because he existed before them. There was no awareness to hold God. It wasn't as if he was floating in some vacuum called space. There was just God. I hope that keeps you up till 4 a.m. this morning as you just swirl in the darkness of your bedroom. What? But dear friends, I say that not to get a laugh. I say that actually to humble us into the worship of the God who says I am who I am. He's about to go speak to a Pharaoh who could an instant cut his head off because he walked in the wrong way. And here's a God who says, I am who be with you. You need that kind of God who exists outside of space and time and who is just who he is because who he is in order to boldly walk up into Pharaoh's throne room. Dear friends, this is the most confidence-building stuff, yes, but this is the most put your face in the floor and worship God stuff. He's an assay God. He's an infinite, eternal God. He's a God who is sovereign in all that he's doing. He knows the end from the the beginning here. And he's a God who demands to be worshipped. Did you notice how he kind of repeated himself in verse 14 and 15? And he says in verse 15, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. We exist, any given local church, we exist as a people to the end that we are to worship and exalt the name of our Savior. Herein is the first big name, I am. He's a God beyond our wildest imagination. He's a God that that breaks the concepts of what our minds can grasp. In the best sense of the term, he is a God who is incomprehensible. You can't get your arms around him. And, and, and sometimes that drives people crazy. They think, I, I want to know more, I want to know more. If I can't totally comprehend this God... Well then, I can't believe him. Uh, To which the answer is, what kind of God would you want to worship if you could understand all of him? Here is the one who breaks the boundaries of our comprehension. And he does it on purpose to say, remember me and worship me. We need that, don't we? In the midst of a world, as we sang earlier, that seems unfair, Things don't quite make sense. Every news station, radio station, Instagram, TikTok feed gives us different news angles, and you're left at the end of the week saying, I don't know what to believe. Well, there's one who transcends all of that mess. There's one who has called us to walk faithfully in the midst of that mess. And he's the same God who called Moses and now calls us to remember the name I am. He's revealed his name here to Moses. Dear friends, he's done so much more in revealing that name even in HD clarity through his son, Jesus Christ. 
It was Jesus speaking here to Moses, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, inseparable, three in one. Jesus has given us the same promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Indeed, as was read earlier from John 8, he told the Pharisees who were confused at his talk about being old when he said, no, before Abraham was, I am. Before there was the earth, before there was the sun, before there were the stars put in place, before there was space and time and awareness, there was the I am. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your name was on the forefront of the I am's mind. Knowing that he would come and give his life for you, to sustain you, and bring you to himself. So that one day when we come into the presence of God, it's not like Moses here, veiled as he is behind some image of a burning bush. And nor is it even like the apostles who, who saw a veiled I am in the incarnate Christ. No, there'll come a day when the glory of the I am himself explodes in glory as we enter into the new heavens and the new earth. And he invites us to do the unimaginable. Sit down with him and eat a meal. As he says, remember my name forevermore. I hear we're going to take the Lord's Supper soon. And so as we do so, I ask and encourage you to consider the glory and the beauty and the transcendent, infinite, eternal majesty of the I Am who has given himself for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, and we pray, Lord, that we would be a people who exalt and remember your glorious name. I am who I am. And Lord, may we be men and women marked by that name as we call ourselves Christians finding our identity in the I am incarnate of Jesus Christ and therefore walking lives in faithfulness and in reliance upon his sovereign care over us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.